0: this is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Anne Lynn. Anne is a dynamic interior stylist celebrated for her captivating designs and thought-provoking writing, including the Abundant Life devotional journal. In 2014, Ann's passion for storytelling and empathy for others inspired her to start the popular faith and lifestyle blog, Girl and the Word. Since launching the blog, Anne has continued to expand her influence through YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and her successful online shop, The Hoog Shop. She lives in a renovated 1940s fixer upper with her husband and adorable corgi, Ollie, and her most recent book, Forever Home, Moving Beyond Brokenness to Build a Strong and Beautiful Life, released in September, and it reflects her personal journey and provides insightful guidance for creating a fulfilling and meaningful life. I loved my conversation with Anne so much. She is just a delight, a treat, a joy. We instantly became friends. I realize that is kind of a common thing that happens here, but we really dig into her why, her personal story of moving beyond brokenness, her childhood experiences, and of course, like how that all translates to DIY projects and interior design. I'm telling you, we had so much fun. You're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Anne And welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Molly. I'm so happy to be here. Right before we uh, hit record, we were just discussing the the genius marketing and the beauty of the Trader Joe's seasonal aisle, or Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily a seasonal aisle, but just the things that they put right there at eye level that are the seasonal Mm -hmm. items that you just you'd walked into Trader Joe's with maybe your regular grocery list and then you leave (laughs) with all these other things that you're like I how did this end up here like why do I have this seasonal pumpkin or like why why do I have these maple leaf cookies I don't know because they look good
1: (laughs) yeah that's what happens (laughs) they know their audience (laughs) seriously
0: seriously anyway um and so I had eaten one of those maple vanilla cookies, which if you're listening to this, and it is in the fall still, probably I look Trader Joe's is not paying me to say this, but you should probably go <laughs> right now, you should actually pause this podcast, or listen to it in your car on the way they to do. Trader Joe's to purchase oh said maple leaf vanilla cookies in any event. That's not what this podcast is about. And I'm so excited that you're here. Um, and uh, for you to just share your heart and to share your story. So let's just kick it off. And have you give us the Ann one hundred and one? So, who you are, what you do,
1: and how you got to where you are today? Ooh, a loaded question. I'm going to keep it short. So, my name is Ann Lynn. I can be found on YouTube, Instagram, all the social pages, and you'll see me making these very. Uh, I guess visually aesthetic devotional videos. Um, And I incorporate interior design into my messages as well as a lot of DIY crafts. So if you ask me what I do for a living, I really. Don't know what to tell you, but now (laughs) I'm trying to um, add value in um, the writing space as well. So my new book, Forever Home, will be out September 26th. So by the time you hear this, it's probably already in the bookstores and you can feel free to check it out.
0: (laughs) Okay. love the short and sweet intro, but there is so (laughs) much underneath all that that is, uh, you know, a whole lot more. So... I will say your videos, when I first watched some of your videos, I, and I realize that people say this to you a lot. It's like your soothing voice is just your voiceovers and you're, you're just, it's very calm. If I'm ever feeling stressed, I'm like, I'm just going to go listen to Anne's videos. It's just really lovely. (laughs) I love that. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, But I know that's a common, that's a common thing that people tell you. Um, you know, like Fran Drescher could not like love Fran Drescher, but Fran Drescher is not going to ever do like really soothing voiceover.
1: <laughs> videos. Uh, yeah, you probably can't fall asleep to
0: that. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Um, okay. So when, you know, like I said, I had come across your videos and really loved the way that you, you so uniquely incorporated things like interior design and things that are um Uh, to use your phrase, you know, aesthetically beautiful um, (laughs) into also uh, Bible teaching and devotionals. Mm. And I just, I really, really loved that. And I love when people uniquely combine their gifts that God has given them and for his glory and you know mm. God has implanted a passion and a talent and a skill for interior design and DIY into you and then to take something like that and to use it for his glory is just is so cool and so I want to get oh. to that but before mm. that I want to back up because your story, which I know you share a lot in your book, is incredibly powerful. You were born in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And um, so tell us the story of being born in Vietnam and what happened around the age of two
1: and mm. then
0: how you came to America and, and what what that process was like.
1: Yeah, it's weird because a lot of people, and this is normal, it's normal for us to not have memories Past Like even five years old sometimes, but because of the major transitions that I had to encounter early on, my vivid memories go back to all the way when I was two. Uh, And that's pretty unusual, I found out. Um, So I was born in a pretty impoverished town in the outskirts of Saigon, which is the major city. Um, And it's so kind of like rural that even native Vietnamese people have never heard of it. So (laughs) that's kind of where I grew up and they, and, now it's very industrial. And um, there's a lot of like toxic chemicals being like poured out into the waters and all that. Even back then, um, that was like the beginnings of their industrialization. And so I feel like my family just kind of got the brunt of it at first, um, because there were absolutely no regulations, even more so back then. And I have a big feeling that contributed to my father's eventual cancer and all of that later on. But before we get to that. (laughs) So I was born um, into, I would call it a mud hut. It's, you know, just scrapped together with all of the weird materials they could find. Um, And we were just scraping by and living off of like (laughs) people's chickens that were roaming the village. It (laughs) sounds so bad. Like we're stealing chickens Um, from what I heard from my parents. We were foraging for um, edible weeds. Literally, like I can't even imagine living like this, but that's the the those were the conditions that I was born into. And then when I was around three or four, my father got um, a promotion at work and that allowed him to replace our really terrible living circumstance with um, a concrete house. Um, And we were on the up and up. So he was doing really well in the company. And if we stayed in Vietnam, we probably would have been really well off by now, by the the way things were looking, Um, but instead, When I was on my fifth year of life, we moved to the United States. We left literally everything behind, as a lot of these immigrant families do. And we made our way to Pasadena, California. Um, As one does. Yes. Very (laughs) anticlimactic, if you were to, you know, summarize that experience. I
0: just just love (laughs) the idea of like, you're leaving Vietnam to go to the United States of America too. (laughs)
1: It was like realistic and very humbling. Uh, I mean, we, we, Anything that was told to us about the United States was so hyped up. And I had this vision that the U.S. was like what what you would think like a Katy Perry music video would be like (laughs) literally Candyland. I thought it was I mean, I was five. I thought it was going to be so vibrant, so beautiful. Everyone is super nice and looks gorgeous. And then I found myself in uh, Pasadena in the middle (laughs) of like fall or winter everything's gray. People are mean. <laughs> and I'm like, this is terrible. But um, we ended up being shoved into my um, aunt's tiny little bedroom. And having to start all over again made my parents so stressed all the time. They bickered and fought all the time. And living in such like unstable circumstances and being in constant transition uh, made me feel like I had to be quick to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we left her house and moved into a, uh, an apartment and then a garage and, you know, someone's back house, we moved like so many times when I was younger and all that did for my frontal lobe was to put me in survival mode for most yeah. of my child childhood, um, all the way up until we purchased our, First family home, which is for, I guess, our only family home, Um, me, my mom, and my dad, I was about, I think, 11, 10 or 11. I think I was 11. Um, And we renovated it together for a few months. And then my dad came down with stage four stomach cancer, Hmm. like literally out of nowhere, and then passed away three months after his diagnosis. So my mom and I were completely shocked and left to pick up the pieces left to figure out this new dynamic as a she as a single mom and me as like an only child without a father and uh, she was left figuring out the mortgage by herself so things between us got rocky really quickly we went from being best friends always on each other's side always defending each other to being like enemies almost overnight. Mm. Um, And of course, as a child, still, I was not able to comprehend what happened. All I knew was that, oh, my mom hates me now. Mm. And when the only person that you can rely on to take care of you look like they want to harm you all the time, um, it really does something to your Brain. Like it really changed my brain chemistry. I, I became hyper sensitive, hyper anxious, very depressed, hung out with the wrong crowds, got with the wrong guy who was pretty abusive, and just plummeled, plummeled plummeted <laughs> into... Pum- pummeled slash plummeted equals yes. pummeled. love it Plummeled yes into like the depths of my teenage despair that's all I can summarize it as but truly when I was at my darkest was when Jesus encountered me hmm. when I wanted nothing to do with religion and when I had literally zero interest in religion he found me when I was struggling the most and had literally nobody to turn to. And he gave me this visceral, like divine experience that made me realize that there was a creator out there who wanted more for me. Mm. So
0: (laughs) I am curious, like, because uh, while our stories are obviously very different, I relate to a lot of pieces of your story. And I think that that's, you know, our stories are all unique. Um, And all of us have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, especially for those of us who who have trauma or just really hard things in our past, we can relate to one another, you know, especially in the when we get when we find ourselves in those really dark moments and my rock bottom, my really dark moment was when I came to faith. Um, Mm. I am curious for you, how did that progression happen? Did you grow up in a religious home? And what was your experience with faith up until this rock bottom moment? So that's the first part of the question. Then the second part of the question is, was it a particular person that introduced you to Jesus? Like, how did you have that moment of the the come to Jesus meeting?
1: Yeah, I was raised in a Catholic home. My mother had always been a devout Catholic, and I was forced to go to catechism and all of that uh, up until I was old enough to <laughs> fight back and say, "I don't want to go anymore." Because I learned <laughs> so little, um, and it was all very confusing for me because it was taught in formal Vietnamese and my Vietnamese had always been very elementary. And on top of that, they taught very abstract concepts that just went over my, you know, very underdeveloped brain. So I had no relationship with God. Um, And I don't, Particularly think my mom had a relationship with Jesus either. I think she just saw spirituality as kind of a cultural thing. Um, she would, you know, pray to our ancestors and pray to Buddha. She would just do all of it and hope that one of them is real, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was not a real priority, um, all things considered, for our family. My dad was also an atheist. So the only, like, I guess the only real constant in our faith journey was the altar of Jesus that my mom erected in every home that we moved to. And we moved a lot. So she would never fail to put up the painting of Jesus that honestly could have just been any white guy. I don't know, but (laughs) she brought it with her to every home that we moved to, brought her statue of Mary. Um, And that was the only constant religious um, undertone that I felt like carried us through all of our different transitions. And the moment that I encountered Jesus was actually on a random I guess weekend night, I was trashing myself at a house party like I usually do. I remember being on all kinds of substances and being so numbed out of my brains that I couldn't even feel the temperature. Like Mm -hmm. I was physically numb and mentally numb. And I remember stumbling into a stranger's car and the car quickly filled up with all of my friends. And then we took off and everybody was super messed up and then they were bumping super loud techno music and right there in the back seat i found myself just sobbing mm. and feeling so empty and i remember a very clear thought entered my mind and it said nobody truly loves you Oof. and it hit me like a ton of bricks it was like a come to myself moment but then not not long after that i saw I guess in my mind's eye, that altar of Jesus Mm. that I had in every childhood home. And I just focused on that image of Jesus. And I felt this comfort just wash over me from my head, cloaking my arms down to my toes. And I had never felt that kind of peace and comfort before. And still to this day, I had never had a repeat of that very visceral divine moment. Um, but then when I had that experience, it snapped me out of my, I guess, high yeah. Whatever you know, thing I was feeling, and I was coherent enough to ask the driver to take me home. And then the next school day, I contacted the only Christian friend I had in school, and she lit up when I told her that story. I was so confused. I'm like, why are you so excited by this very, <laughs> you know, dark story? And now I know, but at this time, I was like so confused why she was so happy to hear that I had this weird encounter with this image of Jesus, but she took me to her family owned church and her brother was preaching that day. I still remember. And I just fell to my knees and gave my life to Christ because it was the first thing and the first experience I've had in my entire life at that point that felt right. Mm -hmm. That felt so much like coming, coming home. And yeah, I never really looked back after that, but of course the journey Mm -hmm. has been a roller coaster. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's not a smooth sailing after meeting Jesus. (laughs) It's just having him with you through the storms. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. That is, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I always go back
0: to the verse in John sixteen thirty three when Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Mm. Um, and it's not a if, it's not a maybe, it is a promise that in this world, mm-hmm. we will have trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world. And that verse yes. has really stuck with me, um, because that of the certainty in that. And, Mm. um, while some people might say, but that's like doom and gloom, that just sounds like doom and gloom. (laughs) Like it's a promise that we're going to have trouble in this world. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) but we live in a, we live in a broken world and that is the reality Mm -hmm. of the, the world that we face. But Mm -hmm. we, when we come, when we place our faith in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him it gives us this gift of knowing that um, we have him because he has overcome the world. And Mm -hmm. I think about all the time. I mean, I, I think about my life, you know, BC before Christ, where I didn't have that firm foundation. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the, I mean, I'd built my life on sinking sand. Mm. And when the storms came and the winds blew, (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) sure enough, yeah, sure
0: enough. And so, you know, I I think about that a lot. And I think about what life would have maybe been like for me had that not been the case. Um, And Mm. then my heart aches and my heart breaks for people in my life. I know who are going through challenging times who don't have that faith, Um, because I really do believe, uh, like you said, like when you have that that mm-hmm. thing to look to and you have something holding you steady, um, mm-hmm. because things will change and life gets hard and it's a, it's a roller coaster of ups and downs and grief and joy and all the things. But if you have your eyes fixed on the only thing that never changes and is the same yesterday, today, and forever, um, mm-hmm. that is the thing that keeps us
1: locked in. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Resilient. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, That reminds me of like when my friend's dad was going through, um, I think it was after his divorce, but it tossed him into this cycle of alcoholism and he couldn't start his day without, you know, downing a couple of shots at the local bar And it got so bad that he started getting gout and all of these like health issues Mm -hmm. from his alcoholism. And so it was his wake up call to check himself into rehab and then went to AA and in his AA, um, if you guys don't know, they incorporate faith into the program, Mm -hmm. into the 12 step program. And um, the faith aspect is absolutely crucial because it gives these people something to surrender to, because they can't do it on their own. They need each other and they need to surrender to a higher power. So even physiologically, I feel like when we have a spiritual side to us, we can really increase our resilience to adversity. Um, and that's done in a study that I quoted from in my book as well. So it's not just you know hearsay, but it's actually been studied and researched. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, when they go through suffering, can't help, but ask like, why me, you know, what oh, I do yeah. to deserve this? Uh, so I love that you brought up the fact that suffering happens to everybody and it's actually, guaranteed in life. And Jesus mentioned it himself multiple times. And he himself is called the man of sorrows. So when we go through suffering, it's actually so comforting to know that our God can empathize. He's not just some, you know, like stuck up or removed figure in the cosmos laughing at our pain, but he actually sent himself to the earth and went through suffering with us and walked with us so that he can properly empathize with the human experience. Um, And I feel like the, the Bible offers such a unique consolation to those who are suffering in that way.
0: Hey friend, I want to take a quick break from my chat with Anne to let you know that my memoir, my book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room for is now available for pre-order. It releases March 26, 2024. You can pre-order it wherever books are sold. Probably the easiest place for you to get it would be on Amazon, but if you have another favorite book retailer, you can pre-order it from them. I would love it. If you would take a moment, you can head over to my website, stillbeingmolly.com. You can click the link there to buy the book and find out more information, or you can just head over to wherever you buy your books and you can pre-order it. It would mean so much to me. You and I have been on this journey together for a long time, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, or if you've read my blog for a long time, um, we've been on this journey together and it would mean the world to me if you would go pre-order my book right now. So head on over there. And without further ado, back to my chat with Anne-Lynn. Well, after you took that step and you came to faith, what did the, because it's not, as we all know, like the process of sanctification is long and slow and painful. And it's not this like, oh, you surrender your life to Jesus and everything's great. Mm -hmm. Um, What did life look like for you in those initial days and weeks and months after and, um, you know, what was the, that process like for you?
1: Mm. You know what? (sighs) I think coming to Jesus, what it did was give me a second chance at life because prior to having that experience, I couldn't even fathom getting my life together. I knew that I had options. I knew that, you know, logically, I could do certain things and take certain steps to get my life back on track. But I just did not have the motivation. And I did not have the willpower to do that. So coming to Jesus gave me a newfound appreciation for this life that he gave me. And I started trying harder in school and took those steps that I knew were there all along to try to get things back on track. But more deeper issues were uncovered for a long time. I just weren't, I I just was not educated on what was healthy and what was not. So I had no sense of boundaries. I did not know how to conflict resolve. I was still very anxiously attached to people and was very fearful in relationships. And all of these things don't come naturally. Like, uh, I mean, like, Learning how to get out of this mindset does not come naturally to someone. You have to be educated on how to have a more secure attachment to others. Um, and that came <laughs> much later in my yeah. adulthood after graduating from college and seeking therapy for the first time uh, and making that secure connection with my therapist first before making other more substantial changes in my life and my relationships such as moving out of my mom's house, um, leaving the um, romantic relationship that I was in that I didn't know how to steward um, and finding a new church, you know, a church that didn't trigger me so much, I guess, uh, and just making changes that I thought was generally blasphemous (laughs) or (laughs) countercultural really uncomfortable changes that were good for me, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And it was a long, and it's still an ongoing process of me learning how to reparent myself and not pass on my generational trauma. And I think this whole life is going to be a sanctification process. It won't end until we die. Um, sadly, (laughs) but, um, what makes it worth living now is the fact that I do have God with me. Mm-hmm. And I know that there is more purpose to me being here rather than just, you know, like, you know, the Forky character from, um, toy story four. Oh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As soon as he came to life, he like sought for the trash cause he thought he was trash. And he, when people tried to stop him, he's like, I was made for soup chili, maybe, you know, a a nice little salad on the side and the trash. And that's a lot of times, that's how we think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I was made for making some money, having a nice relationship, buying a house, getting a car, having kids and dying. But life is so much more than that, you know? And I think that's exactly what a, a life with Jesus gives you he allows you to look beyond the physical and beyond the cultural demands and seek true purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious what was the what was your relationship with your mom like after this? But was she still through the time period that your relationship with her had gotten really tumultuous? Was she still very um, engaged in her Catholic faith? And what was her reaction to you uh, Mm. surrendering your life to Jesus?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, that was an interesting time. She was highly doubtful that my Christian faith would do anything for me because our relationship at that point when I was... uh, First converting, um, it was still very rocky, and I was still in high school. Um, And so she, you know, voiced her doubts and um, skepticism. But I was just, I was just so secure at that point in my relationship with him, my newfound love for him, that I, I couldn't care less um, whether or not she believed that this internal change was real. All I did was continue to learn more about him. And I decided to just let my actions speak for itself. And so when I started doing really well in school, uh, in community college and got into UC Berkeley and really proved her wrong, um, that was when I think she realized, oh, this change is real. You know, it's not just a phase. She stuck with this for like, Quite a few years already. So she had, uh, I guess, more respect for me. But just because you have respect for someone doesn't mean you're going to stop your unhealthy habits, right? So she was still prone to, you know, emotional dysregulation. But it was me who changed. It was me who learned how to kind of gray rock more and just not entertain it more uh, and not give into the baiting and all of that. Um, But it got especially bad when I moved back after graduation. That was when I heard just insults like you're a failure. I make more money than you and I don't even speak English. And it's just a lot of projection, I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you were to ask her now, she'd be like, I didn't say that. But. You know, I remember very clearly all of these experiences and it literally drove me insane. I think it like it broke me. I had never had a mental breakdown up until I graduated college and moved back into her house. And that was when I just lost it. I couldn't I couldn't reason myself through the suffering anymore. I just broke. Um, And so I was I was exactly (laughs) like my mother. Mm. Um, strangely enough, I coped the exact same way she did having these mental breakdowns, um, lashing out being just a terror, um, when I felt afraid. And so that didn't stop until I sought therapy. It was the only resource that allowed me to understand myself and feel even safer with Jesus than I did. Cause at that time when we had that fallout, I was also like very angry with the Lord. And I started fearing God in in that unhealthy way, feeling that he is perhaps abusive as well. Almost like be being like revolted mm-hmm. by his presence rather than embracing his presence. And it wasn't until my um my Christian counselor, my therapist, it wasn't until she had me do this exercise um, where I closed my eyes and envision Jesus in the room. And like, where is he? I'm like, he's next to the exit. And <laughs> she's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then she would just keep checking in on that every once in a while throughout the, the months and months that I've seen her up until the end of our time together. When I closed my eyes the room and saw Jesus sitting next to me that she's like, okay, I think you're good now. You know, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, it's so weird how my relationship with him at the time was so hinged upon my relationship with my other authority figures in my life. Um, but that experience healed that for me. Mm. And now I have a a much easier time separating God from the people who hurt me. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, I, I think that that's one of those uh, really common themes that I hear from a lot of people is mm-hmm. the inability to separate the love of God and the, un- the unconditional love of God from the conditional love mm-hmm. of those in our lives. Man, that's so good. All right. Well, I want to transition a little bit because obviously one of the things that you are most known for that we talked about at the beginning is sort of your interior design and your DIY. And, and I had mentioned how I think the, the fusion of these, these gifts that you have for storytelling and for design and DIY and your love of Jesus are just really cool, really unique. And so, you know, you talked about growing up, you know, being born into a mud hut and then your dad, uh, you know, uh, getting a concrete home and Mm -hmm. then moving to the United States. And so moving a lot and um, you had, I, I know this about you, that you really watched your parents begin to embrace making their houses homes. And Mm -hmm. watching your dad do DIY projects and things like that kind of, you know, really sparked this interest in you. And so Mm -hmm. I would love for you to share, at what age did you realize this is something I'm really good at? (laughs) And then after that, at what point, you know, kind of fast-forwarding to your adult life, did you kind of, I guess, stumble upon uh, this world that you have created online, you know, really inspiring people and encouraging people mm-hmm. in your unique way?
1: Mm. I actually didn't grow up thinking that I was going to have anything to do with interior design. Um, I actually studied English in college, so I wanted to be either Same. a teacher or a I was an English oh, major. Nice. Look at there us! Go. We are the coolest. <laughs> we are. <laughs> we <just> are. <laughs> uh, we're also very dorky, but um, yeah, I, I didn't think this would be the niche that I would be in in my adulthood. And it wasn't until I had to move out of my mom's house after college that I took this newfound interest more seriously well before i moved out what i did was i made over my childhood bedroom um and i just needed to do that because it was it was so suffocating for me to be reminded of all of the bad memories that Mm. me and my mom shared in that room so i decided to cover all of the walls with wallpaper and made it look completely different from when i grew up in it and that helped a lot, actually, um, and I feel like it helped my mom regulate a little bit too. Because whenever she would slam my door open in the morning and she would see the new room, it would kind of make her feel like, "Oh, I shouldn't do this." Like I, I, I saw a shift in her attitude as well. So that was like the beginnings of my dabbling in interior design. And after I saved enough money to move out on my own, I spent one full paycheck just making over my studio apartment. And my friends called that apartment the slums of LA. It's so mean, but that was the the commentary that I would get on the living situation I was in. On the outside, it was really bad. But on the inside, it's like walking into Narnia for me because once I transformed it, it just took off on my Instagram. Even as like a for fun post, I wasn't really taking this seriously. I just thought it was kind of like a fun hobby. It kept going viral on my Instagram whenever I posted it. Um, And over time, like brands started reaching out and uh, I was able to monetize it a little bit. And that was when I thought, oh, wow, like, this could be like a career trajectory, you know, this could be something. And so um, I think having other people appreciate the Mm -hmm. home that I created, uh, gave me the confidence to pursue it more seriously. And a few years after that, I was able to quit my copywriting job and pursue just interior design on Instagram full time. But um, I didn't find real purpose in it at first. Instagram was just all pictures at that time. No videos really. And there's only so much that you can say in the captions to spread the word of God. Right. And right, so right. Um, for a Christian who's, you know, trying to make all of these big changes in her life, I couldn't find that like outlet um, to share my reflections that I wanted. And so I burnt out really quickly after going full time. And I was like, oh, no, I just started. Why do I do not want to <laughs> do, do this How anymore? did I end up here already? I know. And then um, the weird things happened. Um, I decided to take a month off of work, um, which is such a privilege to say. But I took a month off to just get inspired and um, see what else is out there. And during that month, I ended my relationship with my then boyfriend and I sold my car and (laughs) used that savings to move into this downtown apartment that caught my eye. And I really felt this very specific desire to garden in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the beginning of it. And I decided to learn videography really quickly um, and documented my journey of being kind of this bachelorette, just living alone in downtown, thriving in her relationship with God and sharing her reflections. And I didn't think it would go anywhere. I thought it would, you know, it's very niche. Like you're talking about religion. It might trigger some people. So I didn't think it would go anywhere. But the second video just took off and launched my YouTube career. And I have just been doing that ever since. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Long story long.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I love stories like that where you're just kind of taking that next step in the direction that you're supposed to go. And so often we don't even know what that looks like. We don't even know, uh, you know, what the next step is, but we Mm. have to do the next right thing that is right in front of us. And And sometimes that involves taking some steps back Mm -hmm. and taking a break or resting. I mean, you know, whether you believe in a literal six day creation or not, at the end of however long it took, God rested. Mm -hmm he rested mm-hmm. and that rest piece is so key for all of us whether we do it weekly in our weekly sabbath or sometimes taking a longer period of rest um mm-hmm. it's just crucial um but i just i like i said i i love how you have so uniquely just taking these gifts that God has given you and and you're using it for his glory. And so oh, thank you. That obviously led to you writing this book Forever Home, yeah. which I love that title because it is has so uh, kind of you know so many multiple yeah. meanings within it. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, I know that we are starting to run out of time, but as we wrap up, I would love for you to just share your heart behind this book and you know what your goal in writing it was and what your goal, what your prayer is for um, the person who picks it up.
1: Yes. So my book, Forever Home, uh, aims to help you recognize and just better understand when you're being triggered so you can essentially uproot the things from your past that are still holding you back today. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the book, I show you ways in which you can move forward from your trauma by building these beautiful spaces, both internally and externally in your life. And I give plenty of examples on how to do that, including some pictures of the cozy nooks Mm -hmm. in my house. So you can start small instead of feeling overwhelmed by tackling entire rooms at a time. And I guess What I want to tell your um, listeners is that it all begins with the deconstruction process. Mm. Um, And at first, being in this demolition phase might feel like a tear down, but it's only when you demolish this old life can you actually rebuild something new and better for yourself. So, my ultimate hope is that forever home can be a guidebook to helping you restore the sense of peace that has been hijacked by trauma.
0: Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I think one, the cover is beautiful. Um, I love that your Corgi Thank is on you. the cover with you. <laughs> I
1: know he made it. I didn't think he,
0: he made <laughs> it. I just, okay. By the way, here at the end, uh, if you have not seen, this video is years old. Like, I think you could probably just go to YouTube or Google it. I don't know. Always, you always want to be a little careful of what you Google. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Just if you search Corgi jump, it's like this video mm. of this Corgi that is like on a boat dock and somebody throws it. the tennis ball into the water and the Corgi is just running full speed ahead to the end Of the boat dock And then somebody throws the water ball into the water And he just really wants to get that ball And it just His little tiny short legs are just not gonna And he just
1: (laughs) It's
0: It's it's my favorite It makes me laugh. I've, I saw, saw that video for the first time, probably like 10 years ago. I've watched yeah. it over the course of a decade, probably a thousand times. And it makes me laugh. You've
1: added a lot of views to that video.
0: Yes. <laughs> However many millions of views that the Corgi Jump has, I'm probably a million of them because it makes yeah. me laugh so hard. Anyway, so they're I so digress. Um, but the reality is, is I love a Corgi. I think they're so cute. Um, And Mm -hmm. I love that your corgi is on the cover of your book.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was so funny (laughs) that they chose that photo. And I'm like, he's like ripping a toy apart. You guys sure? And they're like, we love it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. I love it
0: because especially with the subtitle of moving beyond brokenness to build a strong and beautiful life. And this toy that your dog is ripping apart is moving beyond brokenness. That's the old life. (laughs) (laughs) The old has gone. The new is here. And that's right. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. But really, it that's is so it's funny. beautiful. Um, and your words Thank are you. beautiful. And so congratulations, by the way. Woo-hoo. Um like I said, <laughs> the book you. will be out um by the time this airs. Um, mm-hmm. but I just I really, I really admire your work and um you are stewarding your gifts very well. And that is a thing that Aww. I care very deeply about, is that people uh steward their gifts well and you are doing that. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I received that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, how
0: can people best stay connected with you if they want to see your amazing YouTube channel or your Instagram or I'm not on TikTok, but I know you are. So what what are, I'm an old lady who refuses to get TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) The TikTok. I'm not on the TikTok, uh, which I realize makes me sound like an old person, but I finally a couple years ago, I was like, you know what? It's just not my place. Place and I'm okay with yeah. it. I'm just going to stay in my lane, and TikTok's not my lane. But yeah. I am on Instagram, and, and I do love a YouTube. So obviously, the YouTube. The, a I love YouTube. It. <laughs> <laughs> I do love it, you too. Got it. You know, like mainly funny corgi. She's not that old, you guys. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're the same age, probably. Mainly
0: funny corgi jumps. Um, you know, well, hey, well, the day that we recorded this, I'm just gonna say so I was a grown-up today for uh I was a grown up and I went to a doctor. I went to oh. a new a doctor for a checkup, and I have not been to a doctor for a checkup in a very long time. And so <laughs> I went to my new patient appointment today, and the doctor said, "You know, like, oh, why, why are you here to see me?" And I was like, "Uh, because I'm 38, and I should probably be a grown up and go see a doctor."
1: <laughs> it's just because that's she, the she answer. <laughs> like,
0: she looked at me, and I said. No, but for real. Also, I've had this cough for like six months. So can you if you could take a look at the cough, that would be great. Um, That's pretty serious. But in other, yeah. but in other news is I just, I'm, I was like, I'm supposed to get a mammogram at some point. When am I supposed to do that? Like, I don't know. Do I need to have my cholesterol checked? And, uh, she, the doctor just really, I think didn't know what to do with me. And she was like, well, congratulations. I'm really proud of you for going to the doctor. Anyway, this is more information than anyone on, but this is why people listen to this podcast is probably just for the random anecdotes that I end up like <laughs> the that I go off on. Um, and we were just talking about uh connecting with you on Instagram and YouTube and somehow I discussed the fact that I probably need a mammogram. So that welcome <laughs> to- welcome to can I laugh on your shoulder everyone. Yes, um, all right. Um, and very necessary. I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead. So you-, you tell us where you want people to follow you if they're on the TikTok or a YouTube.
1: Well before I get into that, I will also say that I'm very proud of you, Molly, for taking care of your health. <laughs> Yes, it's very it's needed. up? <laughs> um, but if you guys are still in the mood to check out my platforms after this, you can find me at girl in the word uh, on all of the platforms, all of the socials. <laughs> and um I also have this little cozy online shop called the Hooga Shop. Ooh. Not the Hookah shop, that's something else. The, that's, the a diff- ho- that's a different that's a different place. That's a different product. <laughs> that's uh, a different the Hooga product shop. And- .com. So yeah, just go on the word and the hookah shop. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome.
0: Well, Anne, I really appreciate you. I think you're wonderful. I think you're hilarious. And thank you for also putting up with my shenanigans.
1: Um, oh no, I yeah. love it.
0: Well, uh, you're just wonderful. I really appreciate you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you too. Love you already. <laughs>
0: I hope you loved this conversation with Anne. Would you take a moment to head on over to social media and would you let me know? I'm at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod. And let me know what you liked about this episode or if there was anything that you learned or anything that encouraged you. You can tag me there. And if you aren't busy, (laughs) if you have an extra moment, would you head on over to whatever podcast app you're listening to and make sure you click that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for your support week in and week out. It really means the world to me. And thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And I hope that something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We will see you next week. Bye.